And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker with the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago, and today we are going to talk with a fellow attorney and professor, David Iglesias. Since 2014, David has been the director of the Wheaton College Center for Faith, Politics, and Economics. He is also associate professor of politics and law at Wheaton College. But this doesn't tell half the story. Previously, Mr. Iglesias served in the Navy as well as as a state and federal prosecutor who handled cases involving police civil rights, government and military corruption, immigration, national security, and, and terrorism. Indeed, David, over the course of his career, has personally faced the issues similar to those that are so present today, including the civil rights claims of Black Lives Matter, investigation of political figures, time to coincide with elections, uh, securing our border, and the war on terror. In the midst of all this, our guest, David Iglesias, is a man seeking to live out his calling as a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm an attorney and a partner at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, not-for-profit administration to religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to Malkin Baker. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R dot com, or call us at 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on developments about faith and law. But now I want to turn to David. David, I wanted to start with your upbringing. Your parents were missionaries building a church and offering medical aid in Panama. So you grew up in a mission-minded family, and I know that you are an outspoken Christian. Do you see yourself and your career as one of being on mission for the Lord? Uh, yes, in fact, uh, I, I like a statement that uh, I think has been attributed to St. Francis, uh, and that is, witness always, use words when necessary. So certainly there's a time to speak your faith, but I think there's always a time to, to live out your faith. And I was blessed to have godly parents who were on the mission field and both Panama and Mexico for many years. Uh, now, most of our listeners can understand your parents' work as being on mission, but for some, it's a little harder to see government work as a lawyer as mission. Explain that. What are you, what are you doing? Yes. Well, I'm a big fan of the Faith at Work movement, which basically says uh, your ministry is where you work, and certainly there uh, are lots of great Christians who are pastors and missionaries, but I would argue that if God gave you a skill set outside of those areas, uh, where you work is your ministry. So are, are you being ethical? Are you working hard? Are you maintaining a good attitude? Uh, are, are you sharing your faith by, by just your work product? And if the answer is yes, then I would say that you're a missionary to your workplace. David, I'm, uh, I know you're a litigator. Both you were a litigator in the Navy. You have been a state litigator, both on the... Um uh, local level. You're also a federal litigator. So I'm going to start doing a little cross-examination here. You were a judge advocate in 1986, and I understand your legal team was the inspiration for the film A Few Good Men. 
with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson in it, uh, in which your team defended two Marines who were charged with the assault of a fellow Marine at a base in Guantanamo Bay. And as I understand it, uh, part of the basis of, of your uh, defense in that was that these two men were just obeying orders from higher up. Is that true that this was really the, the basis for that movie? Yes, the, the movie A Few Good Men was based on a real life uh, code red that took place in July of 1986 uh, in Guantanamo. And there were initially 10 JAG officers assigned to the case, but only three of us went to trial. And we tried the cases in Guantanamo. There were separate trials, but I kept in close contact with my two co-counsel. But yes, uh, you're right, Rich. The uh, defense was obedience to orders because they did the code red because they were ordered to, to do that. So... so um I personally know you, and, and uh, I think you're more uh, handsome than Tom Cruise, but uh, <laughs> other than that, how accurate was the movie uh, as the way they, they played it out? Uh, well, I mean, it wasn't a documentary, so uh, Aaron Sorkin, whose sister was on the original JAG team with me, uh, took artistic liberties with us. So, for instance, the victim actually lived. He didn't die. The court-martial cases were in Guantanamo and not Washington, D.C., and none of us had a screaming fit with the colonel. I, I was going to ask you about that. All right, so here's my question to you on that. Was there really a time where in the questioning of the colonel on the stand, uh, he actually said, you can't handle the truth? No, that came from the genius of Aaron Sorkin. Uh, I wish that actually had happened. Yeah, I'm crushed. That's too bad. That, that was a great line. Um yeah. All right. How did you handle the split uh, when you were doing that between military authority and loyalty with the commanding officers and the truth? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we went to Guantanamo and our clients were in the brig, which is what the Navy Marine Corps team calls uh, a, a, a jail, a short-term jail. And they said, look, we, we, we are trained to follow orders. Uh, our intent wasn't to hurt him. Uh, our intent was to give him a bad haircut so he'd get a real haircut. So uh, they gave it to us early on that they were following orders. There was no criminal intent to harm him, so we felt like we had something to work with. Um, and, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, Marines are it's a fantastic organization, but sometimes they make mistakes as well. So our job was to, to say, look, these young Marines don't really understand the culture. They, are, they uh, followed orders blindly, and that's not really what they're trained to do. So we went to a military jury, and they gave them extremely light punishment. None of them were kicked out of the Marine Corps. They were able to fill out their contracts. Glad to hear he didn't die, first of all. And secondly, good work on your uh, defense of those Marines. I have a son Thank who's you. in the Army. He's about to become a first lieutenant, and, and now all of a sudden the military has a whole different perspective on it. Now, I think you served in the Navy for about uh, 30 years, both at, in the Navy and then as a reservist. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Uh, I served uh, 20 years in the reserves and then uh, 10 years on active duty at the beginning and end of my career. It's always important to say thank you for your service. It's such an important Well, part. I'm just so privileged that I had a chance to serve. Uh, most guys of my generation didn't, and a lot of times they say I, the one regret I have in my life is I didn't serve my country in uniform. I'm certainly glad to see. I did not serve, and so I agree with you on that, and I'm certainly glad that my son on his own initiative just said, Dad, you know, I think this is important. I'm, I want to go in the Army. So uh, let me do this. This is uh, Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker from the law firm of Malkin Baker. Today we're speaking with David Inglesias. 
currently director of Wheaton College Center for Faith, Politics, and Economics. Uh, you're going to find this time goes really fast, David, so I wanted to turn to another uh, part of your career as an assistant city attorney for Albuquerque. I understand you successfully defended uh, Albuquerque police officers in civil rights cases between 1991 and 94. It sounds a little bit like uh, the things that we're seeing across the country today with uh, Black Lives Matter and, and some of those issues that have come up in Ferguson, Baltimore, Baton Rouge, and the like. Is, is that true? Are these same kind of cases, or were they something different? Very, very similar. So these are police excessive force cases, and... Uh, uh, I did wrongful uh, death cases, uh, wrongful shooting cases, um, bad searches. But the the timing was unbelievable because Rodney King was, that video went viral in early 1991, which is when I joined the city attorney's office. So within a month or two of doing that kind of work, everybody started suing police officers because of seeing the excessive force used against Rodney King. So I had to figure out very quickly because of the volume of litigation which cases I needed to settle, and which cases I needed to, to try. So over the course of about three years, I tried 11 civil rights cases in state and federal court. If you talk to any civil litigators, they'll tell you 11 is an incredible number. I didn't know any better because my background was criminal law, yes. I just, which, you know, you try lots of cases as a prosecutor. So I learned through a baptism of fire. And what was the result of those 11 cases? I, I'm a uh, former litigator, uh, recovering litigator, so I'm really curious as, as to your outcome on those. So I had 10 complete defense verdicts, which meant that the jury found no liability on the part of my officer, client, and then one hung jury, which I was going to retry, and then I had to settle that case because of a uh, subsequent video showing my client beating up a drunk guy who was handcuffed. So given your experience, um, both in the Navy and also here with the assistant, uh, or as an assistant attorney for Albuquerque. What do you think of what's going on today? Well, I mean, it, 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 it goes to show you that you've got to stay focused on, on law enforcement, how important it is to, to train and to pick people. Ideally, the police force should look like the community it serves. That was part of the problem with Ferguson, is you had a largely black community and a largely white police force. Uh, you know, that, that's part of the problem. Also, there's been a breakdown in respect for our police officers. And uh, I have a video, in fact, from Ferguson that just got mailed to me, and, and I've been warned that it shows protests coming right up to the face of the police officer and screaming obscenities at him. You know, I mean, who, who wants to put up with that kind of abuse? And we expect our police officers to, to do that, uh, but we expect them to be right 100% of the time, and that sadly is not. Uh, possible to fallen human beings like us. You know, even as a parent, I'm not right 100% of the time with my kids. And and uh, I can think back on a lot of occasions when um, my behavior was less than, than what it should have been. So I think there is some leeway on it. Um, at the same time, with that incredible responsibility, you've got to uh, be a real professional in these things. All right, um, this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of the law firm of Malk and Baker. Today, um, we will be back shortly further to talk with David Inglesias, currently director of Wheaton College Center for Faith, Politics, and Economics.
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, partner at the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with David Iglesias, director of Wheaton College Center for Faith, Politics, and Economics. David, when we were last talking, we were talking about your experience as a uh, attorney for the uh, city of Albuquerque, but now I wanted to turn a little more. Um, I believe it was 2001, you actually were appointed as the um, attorney by Bush for uh, the District of New Mexico. Is that correct for the federal government? Right. He, he, I was appointed the United States Attorney for New Mexico, right? Tell me about that appointment and, and uh, what happened with it. I think you even at, ended up writing a book about that. Is that correct? Well, that's correct. So what United States attorneys do, and there are 93 of them in the country, they enforce federal law. So immigration cases, big narcotics cases, any, any serious crime that happens on a federal reservation, uh, is prosecuted by the United States uh, Attorney's Office, and they're part of the Justice Department. So over the course of uh, five years, five and a half years, I uh, was able to authorize about 11,000 prosecutions. Most of those were immigration cases. These are people who are here illegally. They've been deported. They came back anyway. There has to be some penalty to that. So, And then I prosecuted lots of narcotics cases in which large amounts of uh, drugs, uh, heroin, marijuana, cocaine in particular, would come across the border and we'd prosecute those cases. So I worked very closely with federal agencies like the FBI, the Secret Service, DEA, ICE, all, all those alphabet law enforcement agencies, we worked with them to prosecute their cases in federal court. David, I can't pass up the question. With your expertise and involvement in immigration, how do you view that uh, issue with uh, Trump's election? What are, you, what are you looking for? What are you hoping for in that? Well, I mean, uh, sovereignty has to mean something. And uh, the, the fact that we have at least 11 million people living here uh, means that uh, we, we're not as sovereign as we think. Uh, we need to inculcate a, a respect for the rule of law. So... Uh, I, I, I do support the idea of deporting uh, illegal immigrants who are here with a criminal record. Uh, we, we don't need other countries' criminals living here. Uh, but I do think it's a, it's a problem that, that has got to get fixed. President Bush had a chance to fix it when the House and Senate were Republican, and he couldn't pull it off. It's very divisive, which is ironic because everybody in America, unless you're full uh, indigenous a member of a federally recognized tribe, their ancestors came from somewhere else. But we have a hard time knowing where to draw the line, and I'm hopeful that Trump is able to, to move, the, uh, move the ball down the uh, field. You know, there are many Christians who essentially are advocating an open border. How do you feel about that? Oh, I think that's a terrible idea. I mean, every, every country should be able to restrict who's coming in and out of their country. Um, and, you know, we, we, we have a great country... Uh, but we do have a right to set the limits and set the laws for who we allow in. Uh, I mean, we, we talk about being a rule of law country. Uh, we're a, a country of, of laws and not men. But in this area, uh, we've just looked the other way for a long time, and our political leaders in Washington, for the most part, have not wanted to deal with it. Well, that may change. We'll, we'll see. It is a very difficult problem, and certainly when you know personally uh, people who are here illegally— um, their face takes on great value, and, and the thought of deporting them becomes a very difficult issue. So it, it's a tough one. Um, I yes, wanted... it is. I, I just, you know, I mean, I used to speak at naturalization ceremonies. So these are people who've come and done it right. They've become naturalized American citizens. And 
I probably talked to 10 of these, these ceremonies, and I've told them, thank you for honoring our country. Thank you for honoring our laws. Well, it certainly is an issue that will be in the forefront for probably the next four years. There's a lot to be done on that. Um, because of our time, I need to move on. Uh, your career uh, with the um, department or with the government ended very uh, abruptly, and I believe it was 2007. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. In fact, in a couple of weeks, it will mark the 10th anniversary from when seven of us United States attorneys received the same phone call uh, telling us it was time to move on. So that had never happened before. No administration had ever fired seven of its United States attorneys. So, uh, so we left, but Congress launched numerous investigations. We testified, and what came out is we were forced out for political reasons, which meant we weren't political enough. And our jobs as law enforcement officers was to stay out of politics. I remember John Ashcroft, the then uh, United States Attorney General, telling us, keep politics out. So uh, to make a long story short, uh, we were wrongfully terminated for, for being ethical. And as a consequence, the uh, follow-up U.S. Attorney General sent us all letters of apology and saying, you know, we're, we're sorry this happened to you. We'll make sure it never happens again. So that does resonate with what was going on just about a month or so ago. Here. It sure does. Uh, and how do you view that, the uh, FBI's reopening the investigation right near the end of the uh, campaign? Well, I mean, there, there's a reason there's a longstanding policy that prohibits the FBI and the Justice Department from announcing investigations or indictments when one of the possible targets is running for office. It affects the election, yeah. and we're not permitted to do that. And the FBI director is a friend of mine. We served together as United States attorneys. Uh, I think he's a decent and honorable man, but even decent and honorable men make judgments of error, which is what I think Jim Comey did. Uh, this is uh, Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker from the law firm of Malk and Baker. You can find out more about us by going to MalkBaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Or call us at 312-726-1243. Um, now, there was a uh, commission and investigations. As I understand it, you were, the, the uh, action was found to be arbitrary. Um, you were found not to have done anything uh, improper. But really, one of the issues there was the uh, prosecution of a Democratic uh, candidate uh, in New Mexico, as I understand that. Is that correct? Uh, that's, that's really close. So we had a high-vis Democrat who'd been in office, and he was being investigated, which I could not confirm. But ha- had I announced the investigation of him, it would have affected uh, a congressional race where one of the two candidates was the state attorney general and had done nothing to investigate a fellow party member. So I, I knew this was fraught with political intrigue, and I wanted to announce it after the election. Well, after the election, I, I, that's when I got my phone call uh, telling me it was time to move on. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the lesson there is uh, Democrat or Republican, the temptation to use uh, justice for political means is always present. Uh, that's very true. And, you know, ethical prosecutors have to resist the, uh, the urge to get involved in politics because it, it's toxic, it's corrosive, it causes a loss of faith. I mean, we, 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 we want to believe that our criminal justice system is based on, on the facts and the evidence and not certainly any political considerations. That's what we want to believe. Um, it must have seemed to be a great betrayal to you at the time. How did you handle it? It was really hard because, uh, you know, God had blessed me with this 
ter- terrifically responsible job. Uh, we got great office evaluations. Uh, my staff was happy. And then, boom, in one phone call, everything changed. And I had no idea what God wanted me to do next. So I, I spent a lot of time running in the foothills of Albuquerque asking God, what, 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 how now shall I live? Yes. I had four kids. I was out of work for seven months. I'd never been unemployed since starting work. And I, I just didn't know what was going to happen. So it, it took a lot of wrestling and a lot of, you know, Job-like anguish, uh, knowing that this God allowed this to happen, but I had no idea why. Uh, David, I've got to fast forward on this because we're running out of time. Uh, that was 2007. In 2014, you took a position with Wheaton College. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. Right. So uh, after leaving the U.S. Attorney's Office and being unemployed briefly, uh, I went back into the Navy, prosecuted war crimes cases, and then I, w- I had to retire at, eight, at, at 30 years of service. And then uh, I was made aware that Wheaton College has a, a faith politi- politics and economics center, and I was urged to apply, which I did. I was selected for that position. So I run a center in which we study the intersection of faith, politics, and economics. There are, there are other centers in the country that do politics and economics, but none that I'm aware of that looks at it from a Christian perspective. So we wrestle with issues such as immigration, such as religious liberties, uh, from a Christian point of view. So we, I intentionally try to bring in Christian speakers who can uh, speak to the community at large and students. So we, we want Christians to engage, like my earlier comment about uh, your ministries where you work. Well, there are ministers who are working in Washington, D.C. as elected and appointed officials. There are Christians who are economists. And, uh, you know, we, we, we want our students to understand that, that where they go is their ministry. So uh, that's, that's the focus of the center is political and economic intersections. You're, you're uh, teaching a class right now. Tell us a little bit about that, that uh, fairly unique class, I believe, over at the college. Right. So in addition to running the center, I teach one course per semester. And right now I'm teaching the very first ever. It's called Civil Rights and Police Action. So I'm teaching my students about the use of force. So when is the use of force legitimate and when is it not? When is it step over the line and become excessive and subject the officer to criminal or civil liability. It's a, that's so I draw upon my experiences. I bring in guest speakers who do that kind of work on both sides of the issue, and my students are really enjoying it. Um, and frankly, I'm enjoying it right now. David, we're running out of time, but I wanted you to uh, give us your website. How can people find out more about what you're doing? Right, so just go to wheaton.edu, uh, as in education, edu forward slash f. P-E, and that stands for Faith, Politics, and Economics. And you can see our track record going back to 2008. We appreciate you, David, for coming on today. Um, this is Rich Baker again with Malkin Baker. Uh, you can reach us at 312-726-1243. Um, also on the web at malkinbaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. David, again, thank you for all of your time with us today. And for your service. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. Gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're gonna have to serve somebody.